Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. My guest today is Mike Hanlon, founder and CEO of Abet. Abet helps employers who pay about a trillion dollars a year for healthcare on behalf of employees to gain control over their healthcare data and become more savvy consumers of healthcare. Abet works with some of the biggest employers in the country and has helped them dramatically reduce healthcare expenses. NextGen Venture Partners is a proud investor in Abet. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Dan. Let's kick it off with your background and how you started Abet. So early in my career, I was one of the original employees at Amazon.com. So I was the seventh person there, started in 1995. Worked at Amazon uh, from 95 through 2001, and I mostly wrote software uh, during that time. That was a really intense experience. And when I left Amazon, I thought, oh, gosh, I want to do something entirely different with my life. So I went to graduate school and got a PhD in economics. When I finished my PhD, I thought I really wanted to pursue an academic career, but I didn't want to be an, an economist exactly. And I was fortunate to get a position of a professor of health economics with the University of Washington School of Medicine. And you know, during that run, I was mostly doing research that was funded by the Gates Foundation, focused on economic modeling so they could to help them in allocating capital across countries and, and diseases. Uh, it was a great run, great career. I loved it. But by 2017, I had decided I had done what I needed to do in academia and, and thought it was time you know, to go get a real job again, so to speak. Serendipitously, that spring in 2017, I got a call from a commissioner of the state of Alaska, like a cabinet level official in the state government. And I had grown up in Alaska, so I had ties to this individual going back some time. And he said, look, like you're this fancy economist from the University of Washington, and part of my portfolio in the state government includes benefits for employees and retirees. It's a big problem for us financially. Can you come as a consultant and help us figure it out? That was perfect timing, perfect opportunity. I was super excited to do it. But reflecting on that experience, when I first went back home, so to speak, I was pretty arrogant. Like I thought I understood how the real world worked, you know, as academics can sometimes be. And what I quickly realized is the professionals for the state were way more competent at this than I was. And in fact, I came to think of them as very good consumers of healthcare and that they were asking all of the right questions. The challenge is they didn't have any data to answer any of these questions. And what I found through working through this project is that in retrospect, they actually had access to more data than most employers do, in part because of the nature of the concentrated population in Alaska and that they're a state government and so on. But what I ended up building was an MVP to sort of make sense of all this data so that they could function as consumers and, you know, answer some really pressing questions and make some decisions. So that was a, you know, it was a short-term consulting gig and wrapped up well, and I think everyone was happy with it. But as it wrapped up, I thought, you know, gosh, there's a chance that the state of Alaska is particularly messed up relative to other employers, but I, I don't know, maybe what I just saw completely generalized. And also I was feeling a little humbled by the fact that I didn't totally understand how this industry worked. So in 2018, I got out of the building, so to speak, and thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet with everyone I can in this industry. I'm going to follow the data, follow the money, and see if I can identify problems that, that I can build some product to solve. That ultimately led to a bet in the product we have today, which we brand as the lockbox. Talk about what that lockbox is. The principal problem that I came to hear from employers over and over again is that they had no visibility or control over their benefits data. 
they, you know, for a large employer, you might have six or seven dozen vendors who work for you on or work on behalf of the benefits plan. And you're pumping money into the system. You're, you're, you're handing cash over to them. There's cash and dollars that are being exchanged between all these vendors. But, you, you know, you're completely outside. You have no visibility or control over all this economic activity. And what I heard repeatedly over and over again from employers is I just I want to observe what's going on. I want the ability to intervene when appropriate. And so there's all sorts of legal and technical challenges that had to be solved there. But that's really what our product does. You know, computer scientists might think of it as a data warehouse. We don't describe it that way. And I'll, I'll explain why not in a minute. But essentially, any data that's being generated on behalf of a benefits plan, an employer will put that data or have that data transferred to its lockbox. Anyone needs data from the benefits plan to provide service to the plan, they get it from the lockbox. And this puts the employer in a position of centrality where they essentially see everything, they can control everything. Now, it's important that there's appropriate information security controls and compliance with HIPAA and related regulations. But this puts the employer in the middle of all these economic exchanges in a way they were not before. Now, we don't call it a data warehouse because, you know, there's, there's data warehouse products on the market today that have sort of captured that name. But they're a little bit like roach motels for data. You know, your data goes in there and it dies, right? It never leaves it. The value you get is limited to what that software provider writes atop that platform. The lockbox is designed to be an open platform. So if you're an employer and you want to share a subset of data with some partner that can create some value for you, this is the technical plumbing to make that happen seamlessly. Talk about why it's so important for employers to get access to this data. Employers in the U.S. collectively spend about a trillion dollars on healthcare last year. And right now they are essentially paying bills when they have absolutely no visibility what they're paying for. For a typical Fortune 100 employer, of the employers that we work with and, and others we've spoken with, you know, they'll have a shared bank account with vendors and money's just taken out every single day. And these figures can be huge, $10 million a day gone to the carrier or whichever vendor. And if you're the employer, you have very limited visibility to understand what's going on. You don't need a PhD in economics to know it's a bad deal for a consumer where you consistently pay a non-itemized bill and have no idea what's going on. Our goal is to give the employers the visibility and the control to be smarter consumers of healthcare because that's what they are in the U.S. system. And, and for decades, they have functioned without that visibility. That hasn't worked out well for them. So we want to give them a new operating model and a new way to go forward to become you know, effective and even fierce consumers of healthcare. A trillion dollars is obviously a very large number. Just as context, the U.S. economy, U.S. GDP is about 23 trillion. We spend a little over a trillion on social security payments every year. So this is a big one. And the rate of increase has also been incredibly rapid. So maybe just sketch that picture, if you don't mind. You know, what have annualized increases looked like in recent years or even in recent decades? Now, we're an early stage company. So we currently have, you know, as of this recording, we only have nine customers from whom we have year over year history. But one of them is worth talking about. Now, I don't have permission to name this client. So I'll just describe them generally. Think a Fortune 100 financial services company. They embraced the lockbox in late 2019. They were one of our earliest customers. And actually, as an entrepreneur, it took me a while to realize this. I was a little bit slow on this point. What the lockbox gave them was a plug and play model with respect to their vendors. So right now, let's say I have, I'm just picking out names at random. Let's say Cigna happens to be my, my third-party administrator or my medical carrier. 
well, I might have dozens of other vendors that are tied into Cigna. They're getting some subset of data or information or something from them or, or giving some subset back. So if I wanted to fire Cigna, well, gosh, I've got dozens of technical implementations that I would have to put in place with the new replacement before I could actually make that change happen. And if you're, you know, the typical benefits director of a large employer, you're thinking that that is a monstrous project that I cannot afford to take on right now. I'll just stay with the same carrier because that's that's the lesser of all my evils. With the lockbox model, you, because everyone's interacting with the lockbox and only with the lockbox, you've essentially turned everyone into a node. And part of the service that we're offering is when the data comes in, in the industry and data in this industry is very messy and there's not reliable standards. So part of our service is to normalize this data, clean it, validate it, and normalize it so that it can continue to flow even if you hot swap out one vendor for another. So we observed this is what this company did. They actually fired a bunch of vendors. They hired a bunch of new ones. And it turns out they're year over year, and we're almost through the end of the year, but through September, they're going to save something like $40 million this year, which is as a percentage is call it 15%, something like that. This is in year 2020 where other customers are actually, we're hearing reports of substantial increases year over year. So again, you don't have to be specialized in economics to realize if you have the opportunity to fire someone and replace them with someone who's giving you a better deal, quality is going to increase and price is likely going to go down. That's what our customers are observing so far. Let's go into that $40 million of price savings. So it certainly makes sense that the carrier you know, might get nervous that they're more easily replaceable when all the data exists in the lockbox that is controlled by the employer. And so they might be a little less aggressive on price increases. What are some of the other levers or or ways in which that helps employers save money on their healthcare expense? Yeah. So another, this is a different company I'll refer to. Again, I can't name them, but think like a Fortune 20 large information services company. The way that they've used their lockbox is to require that their vendors, and this is not just the carriers or the TPAs, but the, the, the dozens of vendors they work with across the plan have to send back systematic, systematized reports on what's actually happened. And, you know, we've all come to call these activity reports. And so if you're this employer, it was very difficult in the past to evaluate the return on investment in a meaningful way. Because, you know, you're, you're largely getting marketing decks every quarter from people telling you how great a job they're doing for you. And now the directive is, nope, you're going to send back a data file every day or every week, depending on the nature of the service. You're going to quantify what you have done for us. And we're going to use the lockbox as a tool to aggregate that information and make comparisons across vendors, you know, holistically. And we're going to figure out where are we getting utilization and where are we getting bang for our buck. This allows an employer like that to refine the set of vendors and suppliers with which it's working in a way that works for its population. Now, our position is, you know, being the technical plumbing, we have no stake in who the winners or losers here are. I assume that there's solutions out there that have, there's some sets of employers they're going to create value for and another set they're not. Our job is just to make sure everybody gets matched up and the value gets created. So there's a big role there, I guess, in vendor selection in general. I think there may also be a role for challenging specific bills. How does that play out? There are service providers that specialize in that. And we want to respect that they do that. They're very good at that. Our job is to get them the data so that they can perform that function for a mutual client, the benefits plan, or you know, the employer in short. So there's a number of companies out there that do cost containment, that do auditing. You know, Our job is to make sure they're getting clean data 
on the appropriate cadence, they're getting the right subsets of data and let them do their job. You know, to the degree that when we focus on what we're going to build product and how we're going to expand our product, our goal is not to go after turf that other people have already claimed in this industry. There's lots of great providers out there. There's about a million things that need to get done that aren't they're being done today. That's where we focus our attention. Mike, you just talked about what your product might not look like in the future. How about what it might look like? What are some of the big priorities for future product development? Yeah, it really is giving the, the benefits plan a holistic view of what their population is and what their population could need. So it's not traditional analytics, but it's really understanding your population, modeling that population health, giving you the tools to manage that health and figure out what interventions do I need? What's the expected return on this? And the product to be able to shift away from vendors quickly when they're not working. I think the end goal for this is ultimately, I think a value-based care model makes a lot of sense, both in the U.S. system and other countries' health systems. It's very difficult today for an employer to engage in value-based transactions with the provider side. They don't have the information to figure out how to structure the contracts. They don't know how to manage them. In theory, it's great. In practice, it just can't exist. We view the lockbox and, you know, the extensions and the other products that will be layered on top of it to essentially allow an employer to understand what are the risks of my population? What are the interventions that I can use to try to mitigate those risks? And then how do I sell that risk off to somebody who can handle it? So I can look at my population and understand what are the risks of cancer or different types of cancer? Is there a direct contract I can engage in with a local provider that they can take on that risk right at a fair price? Ultimately, that's where I think the market is going. We want to build product that helps the market get there. Mike, why hasn't something like a bet existed before? A couple of reasons. You know, one is legal. The legal environment, from an entrepreneur's perspective, the legal environment with respect to healthcare data is changing at a glacial pace. But from a legislative perspective, it's changing very rapidly. Large organizations, carriers principally, have been able to hang on to this data. And basically, they've captured this data for decades. Recent legislation, and I think most notably the 21st Century Cures Act, is blowing that up. And it's making it clear that the plans and ultimately the individuals are going to have access and control over this data. Now, just because a law passes in Washington, D.C. doesn't mean the product needed necessary to make that happen just magically appears, right? You need entrepreneurs to, to do that. And that's, that's what our company is about. But the single biggest factor is the legislative environment has changed dramatically in the last decade or so. Regardless of which political party is in power in D.C., they both have a history and an appetite to, to keep this trend going. So I think the way the world works 10 years from now is potentially going to be great for consumers as long as there's product to help them manage and control this data. Talk a little bit more about what it means for consumers. And here we mean employees who get their health benefits through their employer. But we've talked about what this does for benefits managers, HR departments at, at large companies. But what if I work in IT or sales at one of these companies? How does a bet change my healthcare? Well, we're not yet focused on the individual plan member, but that's always been our motivation and part of our strategy. And to explain my own personal motivation here, I live in Seattle and I, I used to live next to the Children's Hospital in Seattle. I would drive by it on my way home. And so, you know, more often than you would wish for, you would see parents, you know, would be driving by and see parents like helping a kid into the ER. And in my head, I thought, you know, gosh, there's this mom who doesn't understand how the healthcare system works. Her child's 
broken his arm and she's completely focused on her child's welfare and getting him inside. And what she does not understand is the next 90 seconds between her pulling out that card and putting it on the counter and having the clerk process the first transaction may be the most financially vulnerable she will ever be in her life. And it struck me that what consumers need is some service that gives them protection in that moment from being financially exploited by the healthcare system. And that's ultimately what we hope to do. Now, as an early stage entrepreneur, it is difficult to make a case or build a go-to-market strategy that involves going directly to consumers, right? But you can go to employers. You can, you can go to employers to solve their problems. And that gives you entree to then begin to have a connection and to work with their plan members directly. We haven't been doing that yet. That's not been a priority for us. It's still early days and a very long journey. But our vision and our mission is that we will go in that direction in the next few years. I think it's well known that the U.S. spends more of its GDP than you know any other OECD country on healthcare, and feels like this might be over time taking a bite out of that. But share how you think that might evolve over time as employers and potentially consumers have diverse information and then perhaps control over their healthcare spending. So I could go back to my days as being an academic. I did a lot of research on this question of why different societies pay different amounts for healthcare and what's the quality of, of that care provided in those societies. If you look at that large body of research across the hundreds of people who, who ask that question and examine it, you hear the same answer in Oprah over. The problem in the U.S. is price. The per rate that we pay for service in the U.S. is way too high. It doesn't seem connected to the underlying economic realities of what it should cost to provide that service. And it, it kind of makes sense, right? To call healthcare in the U.S. a market isn't accurate. We don't really have a market. Our goal is to give consumers the information. And you know, one of the reasons is the, the dramatic asymmetries in information, right? The carriers and providers know a lot. Consumers don't know much. Our goal is to give the consumer access to control over its data and then give them tools to help them manage this process and make decisions. And again, today we're focused on the employer as the consumer. That'll change over time. But right now, the consumers, they don't have a knife and the other party has a gun, right? So we shouldn't be surprised that this ends poorly for consumers. Our goal is to arm the consumers so they can make better decisions and, and actually begin to see some market mechanisms come to play. I think everyone should reasonably expect once that happens, providers are going to figure out, okay, I've got to compete on price now in a way I haven't had to for 40 years. Prices go down, better outcome for consumers and society. That's a pretty good outcome and I think a pretty good place to end. So Mike, thanks so much for spending time with me today. Thanks, Dan. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com. And now for some important disclaimers. The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs, should not be relied on, and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.